So this week, uh, we have our public hearing. Uh, it, we're you know, hopefully going to be able to have our own building at some point, <laughs> someday. So uh, if, if you are newer, uh, we actually bought that field that's out there. We looked for years and years for a place to move to. You know, there wasn't the park. You know, they wanted non-competing retail or things like that. So uh, we tried for, I mean, six years to find a place to move to. And in the end, uh, we just ended up buying that field out there. So we have these plans, and they're at the city, and now we have our full public hearing on Wednesday night. So if you uh, want to go and check it out, it's at 6.30. If you don't like us, don't show up. <laughs> if you do like us, uh, hopefully it's going to be short. They're doing that, the, the whole Enos project, which is like all along the freeway. That, that's that night too. So we're hoping we get to go first because some people may complain about that. And we'd rather us be first, be like, oh, yeah, those guys are nice. And then let everything come after that. Let, it, let us get out of there. But So if you want to come, uh, we'd also ask that you be praying for that, that it would go smoothly, that there wouldn't be in any issues that come along with that either. Uh, part of doing a public hearing is you have to mail, I think it's like 300 yards out from where your property is, and so like everybody in those houses over there, they all got letters that said, hey, this public hearing's happening about our property, so you pray that they're really happy about it or they don't show up. <laughs> I don't know. It's Look, we lost an hour of sleep. We can all be a little punch drunk this morning, so whatever. Can I say that? <laughs> so welcome to Omen. If you're new, all right. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Uh, inside uh, this, there's actually two sides for the last week and this week and next week. There's going to be two different things. One will be uh, the sermon notes, which is kind of half as long as normal. And the other side is kind of what we covered in the video to talk about. It goes a little bit deeper. You can read through that and maybe ask the question that's there. Uh, if you if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. When you click on Live in Uversion, you will have two different Uversions for today. Uh, you'll have one that, that covers the missionary thing and the other side that actually covers the sermon notes. So so if you click on the wrong thing and you're going, this makes no sense, it doesn't go along with the message at all, that's because you clicked on the wrong thing. Click on the other one and you'll get it. It'll be great. <sighs> yeah, I made it through two minutes. <laughs> uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stay on me reading to God's word and we'll get started. Uh, this is John chapter 14, verse 6. And it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who live and trust in you and the things that you have said. Uh, that we would see your scriptures as such the great gift that they are to us. And we would believe and live in them. And that we would see that they all speak about who you are. And that all that we are would be found in all that you are. Amen. I'm seated. All right, so we are in a series. I keep wanting to say a new series, but it's not new because it's been two months into it now, but I still feel like it's new. Uh, this is covering the first half of the book of Acts. It's going to take us about two-thirds of this year to get through. Maybe in a couple years then we'll come back and finish off the rest of the book of Acts, but you'll just have to wait for it. It'll be coming at some point. Uh, we're going to make a, a break about the beginning of October. This is where the story will leave the Jewish church and move into the Gentile story. I think it's important that we look at the book of Acts because I think as Christians we must understand our heritage. We've got to understand where we come from and our legacy. Uh, today we come to Acts chapter 3, verses 11-26, so you can open your Bibles there. 
This is what happens right after last week when Peter and John heal a crippled beggar. And it's interesting because Peter's going to use any chance he can to talk about the gospel and to get in people's faces, which is kind of funny. Uh, now, today I'm going to warn you, it's, we're not going to, I'm not going to mock people like I did last week. It's not, today's going to be a little more serious, okay? And I know you lost an hour of sleep and you're already struggling to keep up. I'm going to lose you at some point today. So I'm just going to say that up front and say I'm really sorry. It's going to happen. Uh, This is the second sermon we have in the book of Acts. It is, again, preached by Peter. Is it, again, what's called a paraphrase, which means it's shorter than it probably actually was. So don't think you're getting off the hook with a shorter message. Peter and Paul, they could preach for hours. I'm kind to you. I'm kind to you and how long I talk to you. Uh, Peter is the key figure in the first chapters of Acts. It's who they focus on. He's the one that Jesus used to really move the gospel forward and lead the church into its mission. So this is how it goes. Acts 3, verses 11 to 26. We're going to read it all. Uh, while he, and that he is that man that they healed last week, in case you're wondering, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So Peter, not one to let any opportunity go to waste, is going to, again, as I said, preach the gospel. Like if you get one million YouTube hits on your Leave Brittany Alone or your Talking Dog or whatever it is, preach the gospel. Be like Peter. Okay, so that's what Peter says. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health and the presence of you all. And now brothers I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about Peter's first sermon that he gave. And in that sermon, he rebuked, he reproved, and he exhorted. That means he encouraged. Well, you see, this is Peter does the exact same thing. And I love how the second sermon in the church era that we have recorded is one that you wouldn't hear in a lot of churches today. Except maybe today when I'm irritated. And I lost an hour of sleep. That makes me giggle a little bit. But Peter doesn't talk about love. And we all love messages about love, like, you know, daisies and kittens and puppies and babies. We love all that. Peter doesn't talk about peace. And we all love messages about, I do, right? People like me. God likes me. I like those messages. I think they're great. He doesn't talk about power, though I think all three of these things are summed up in his message. What he talks about is truth. That's what he talks about. And in our culture, this is where people have the biggest problem. Absolute, God-centered, 
fully in Jesus' realm, truth. Peter essentially says that believers in Jesus have a new relationship to the truth. And Christianity at times in our world becomes really hard because when you surrender your life to Jesus, his truth is or should be more real than anything else that you know. Uh, I was reading an article by Tim Keller, and he calls it the difference between coherent truth, and he contrasts the view in our world, which he calls non-coherent truth. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, he's a philosopher. If you ever took Philosophy 101, he's what they would call an existentialist. Uh, Peter Kreeft, one of my favorite modern-day philosophers, called Sartre the 20th century's most uh, famous atheist. Sartre once said this, Those of us who do not believe God exists are forlorn, for we cannot find anything to depend on either inside or outside ourselves. Morals are for us, both unavoidable and impossible. So what he says is essentially, if there is no God, morals are impossible, yet we live in a world where morals are unavoidable. So unavoidable, yet impossible. This is a non-coherent truth. So I'm reading this article by Keller, and it kind of informs all we're going to talk about today. And he's talking about reading this thing by Madeline Murray O'Hare. I know who Madeline Murray O'Hare is, but she is the lady who, back in the last century, she tried to get the name out of God out of everything, filed lawsuits against everything, uh, tried to get it off the money, out of school. She won the case that removed Bible reading out of public schools. Uh, this is all the way back in the 1960s. Life magazine at one point called her the most hated woman in America. That's the title to strive for, right? You know, you get like Donald Trump and those hate him and you got whatever. Okay, so she writes, she writes this. I can't believe in a final truth, a truth that's imposed on you. I gave up on the idea of truth. Hitler said truth was to kill six million Jews. The Roman Catholic Church, Church said the truth was to exterminate thousands through the Inquisitions. So don't search for truth. It kind of illustrates what Sartre said. Then she says this. I was so offended. It's like our culture. I was so offended by the people who took this idea of truth and used it to hurt people that. I gave up on the whole idea of truth. Now, it's a little bit interesting in there because why she disgusted really makes no sense because if you get rid of the idea of the truth, you don't really have any reason to be disgusted because there is no truth. You could only really be disgusted if you said these people should know better, but they shouldn't know better if there's no truth because, see what I mean? Non-coherent truth. It's like the people who did the killing. Why should they know better? Well, really, because we all know there actually is a truth they should know. And the truth isn't found in our own hearts. It comes from outside of us. It's the truth that God gives us. What Madeline Murray O'Hare did is show exactly what Sartre and atheists say, why they have this problem. They affirm truth and yet deny it at the exact same time. Truth, morals, right, wrong, it's unavoidable but impossible in our world today unless you believe that God has the right to truth. And God comes and God can actually impose his truth upon his creation. When Madeline Murray O'Hare is at the height of her disgust and outrage and all this, it makes no sense because you can't even a moral outrage at something like the Holocaust unless there is a God. And that drives these people just bonkers in the middle of it. And so what you see is that in Acts, God continues to break through. God continues to speak things, and he's using his people to do that. God in our lives breaks through no matter how we try to shut him out. Keller says this, it keeps coming upon you. It's there, final truth, imposed truth, truth that must be imposed on you even though you don't like it or don't believe it. That's the kind of truth that Peter speaks about in his message in the book of Acts. It is truth that is proclaimed by God to his people. Now, Peter shows you two things about the truth. Number one, he shows you there's such a thing as final truth, and that final truth is found in the scriptures. Secondly, in that final truth found in the scriptures, the scriptures are all about a person. 
The scriptures are all about Jesus. So we're going to spend some time talking about this today. And the Bible makes a lot of comments about this. And you can't, we, we pass them over a lot, but you can't really do that. Like when Peter says in Acts 3, 17 and 18, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfill. God promised this thing would happen. God said it. It was written down, and it actually happened. When Peter talks about the prophets, these people who wrote the scriptures, he's referring to everybody from like Moses to Malachi. Peter doesn't say they just brought us words about God. He said they brought us the words of God. So, what I'm going to do is kind of give you some theological terms and walk you through this. This is where I'm probably going to lose you. I don't want to, but I just might. But I'll bring you back if I lose you at some point, okay? So, apologize up front. Take a deep breath. Get some oxygen into your brain, okay? Maybe hyperventilate just a little bit. Get it going so so you're there. All right. Uh, The scriptures are what we call plenary verbal inspiration, Okay, plenary, it means for complete, verbal, you know what verbal means, we're all too verbal all the time, I get it, right? <laughs> but verbal uh, talks about the inspiration, extension of the very words the writers chose, and inspiration, it means breathed. What it means is that the Bible is God's breathed words. Uh, this is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I'll put it up here so you can see it. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word breathed out is this word called theopnestos, and it means breathed out. It's literally exhaled. The scriptures are exhaled by God. In Acts 1.16, Peter says, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. It's the idea the Holy Spirit was speaking and using these people to speak. The Holy Spirit carries the biblical writers along while allowing their personalities and freedom to come through and produce the Bible you have today. In Second uh, Peter one twenty one, it says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the word carried along there, it's this word pharaoh, and it refers to people on a ship being carried through some waters. It refers to a mother, how they carry a baby around because the baby can't walk, they're being carried around. This is what is called a present passive participle. You're like, what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, present means present time, it's continuous action. Passive means the subject is the recipient of the action of the verb. You're like, what does that mean? It means this, that the prophets were being carried passively as they spoke actively God's breathed words. It's essentially like this. They were gloves in the hands of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers them to be witnesses to write the things that they wrote. So they wrote this down with their personalities and their idiosyncrasies. And you're like, why didn't you just say that? I know, I'm giving you big words, I'm trying to help you out. 2 3.16 again, the words all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God, all the word scripture there is the word where we get graphite, where we get like number two pencil, when you have to take your little tests, that's the word that we get the words, the words that are written down are the written, written record, the words themselves, the words of the scriptures are inerrant, they're infallible, it's the grammatical forms, it's the verbs, it's the lolly lolly lolly, get your adverbs here, and your conjunction, junction, what's your functions, it's, it's all All of those things. It's all inspired. It all informs our lives. Like God says to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 26, verse 2, he says, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you speak to them. Do not hold back a word. And so what happens is the scripture gets written, and we have these words written to us from God. Is why element always teaches out of the Bible. We want to teach the scriptures. 
Now, I'll give you two things that inspiration is not. Uh, this is out of a book uh, by J.I. Packard called The Origin of the Bible. I recommend you all read a copy, although if you're lost now, you'll really get lost reading the book. Uh, this is page 35 and 36 out of my copy. They have newer versions, and I'm sure it's not a different page there. But uh, inspiration is not mechanical dictation. It's not automatic writing. It's not any process that involves the suspension of the human writer's mind. Uh, the divine direction under the control of the spirit which the biblical authors wrote. It's not like this psychological force that overwhelms them. It does not detract from them. What it does is it heightens their freedom and it heightens their spontaneity and it heightens their creativity in their writing. And secondly, inspiration. God does not obliterate the personality or cultural conditioning of its authors. Like if God wants to give us a letter written by the Apostle Paul. What he does is he has an Apostle Paul be born and go through the life circumstances that he does so that Paul would write a series of letters exactly how God wanted them written. Second Peter 1.21, again, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. It is God's Spirit coming along with man, so they write these words. Their wills were passively joined with the Spirit. And I know what you're saying is, Aaron, why do you say all these confusing words to me? I don't know what's going on. What I'm telling you is that when David sat down and David wrote the Psalms, David wasn't like, oh my goodness, my hand, my hand. Okay, that's, that's, not, that's not what happened. It means that the Holy Spirit engaged them, and the Holy Spirit influences them. So when they wrote the Scriptures, they were actually writing what God wanted said. And so what you have is a thoroughly true book with truth from God. And so we don't get to say, oh, well, that's what Isaiah said, but, but I say this because this is what God said. Now, if I lost you, refocus again. Okay, Take another deep breath. All right, we're all coming back together. We're all, we're all doing okay here. Now, you have to understand this. When we talk about this, it's important for us to believe these things because if the scriptures were just some ideas that some people had about God, you could say, oh, well, some of these things are valid, but some of these things aren't. But if it's all from God, we don't get, it. We don't get to do that. We have to say, I've got to trust it all. And do you understand you'll probably never live the life God calls you to live unless you believe the Bible is true and our lives must be submitted to it and the things that it teaches us. This all goes back to Sartre and Madeline Murray O'Hare. Uh, this even, you'll see some of the things like Sartre and Madeline Murray O'Hare that go into like parenting books today. Uh, I was reading this uh, thing from this person who's writing a parenting book, and they'll tell you not to impose your morality on your kids. You gotta let your kids figure it out for yourself. Uh, this writer, she says this, I resist the idea that the best way to help a young person develop values is determine what virtues that must be taught and then illustrate them and urge their adoption. She says, don't teach them values. So what she says she does with her kids is she has them read great stories of literature and get the truth out of those great stories of literature. This is what she says. I want values, but we can't believe in truth. Everybody has to find the truth for themselves. It's through an experience. Don't say, this is right, this is wrong. Now do it to your kids. Say, enter into this literature. Read these wonderful stories and find out for yourself. So let's just take this to like a, like a far conclusion in this. Okay? What does a mom do when she walks into her son's room and her son is harpooning his younger sister because like, she's the white whale and he's like Captain Ahab? What does a mom do, right? Okay, in the heart of the sea. Maybe you don't want to read books, movies. Heart of the sea? There you go, okay? Nobody watched it either, so whatever. She, she'd walk in, and she would say, Stop! Don't kill your sister. And if he could reason like an adult, he would say, Now, Mom, this is what I got out of the story. I can beat my sister, and I can harpoon her. That's I can stab her. That's what I got. And if the mom said, That can't be what you got out of the story, the kid could say, based on the mom's logic, You must not impose your morality upon me. This is what I experienced. Now, what should the mom do at this point? She should impose her logic on the kid and say, stop killing your sister. And in that moment, she would contradict her whole worldview. 
She will impose truth on him. If you are someone who says, I only get my values through my personal experience and not any outside truth, you will always fudge. Your foundation will never be secure. You will always, what do they say, move the goalposts. Nothing's ever going to be set. What is so amazing about Jesus, like living the life that we should have lived, is that Jesus lived this perfect life, this righteous life in the face of opposition, persecution, and misunderstanding. Nobody understood Jesus. We don't really understand Jesus most of the time. What does Jesus do in his life to stay true? He lives in, he immerses, and he quotes the scriptures. When he is tempted in the wilderness, the devil shows up to tempt him. Ah, right? What would you do? Pee your pants and run away. Jesus, he quotes scripture. When he's facing his greatest enemies, he quotes scripture. Mark 12, 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In his moment of betrayal, the soldiers come to arrest him. Peter pulls out a sword and goes all 300 on them. What does Jesus say? Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? While Jesus is hanging on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, that the whole earth goes dark. It is the darkest moment in human history. Jesus himself experiences darkness like no one ever will. All that we deserve in punishment for our sins was laid on Jesus at the cross. We can't even comprehend what that means. And yet Jesus cries out, Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what that is? That's scripture. That's Psalm chapter 22. Tim Keller says this, when you're in absolute agony and you can't think, what comes out of your mouth is primal. Hit your finger with a hammer. What do you do? Oh, right? That's what's in you, okay? It's primal. It's the essence of who you are. It's at your heart. When Jesus is at the moment of his greatest agony, what does he do? He quotes scripture. He quotes scripture. He deals with betrayal with scripture. He deals with pain with scripture. He deals with temptation with scripture. He deals with controversy with scripture. It's not just opinion. That's what his life was based on. In the garden, before he goes to the cross, he's praying, sweat like drops of blood are falling out. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. How does Jesus know God's will? People say, oh, well, Jesus was God in the flesh. Well, he was. But Jesus doesn't lean into his divinity. We talked about this over Christmas. Jesus comes as a man. What does he do? He learns the scriptures. He immerses himself in the scriptures. Why are we to believe the Bible in its entirety is true? Because we can't follow Jesus and say, I believe some of the Bible is true, but not all of it. How can we follow Jesus and contradict the very principle his entire life was based on? If we do that, we make it a mockery not only of Jesus, but everything he stood for. His entire life is based on the truth of the scriptures. If Jesus had the same view of scriptures that we do most of the time, we'd all be lost. We'd all be lost. Jesus views the scriptures as final truth. They're about God. They're from God. They're of God. It's not just words about God. It's from God. This is why we receive it all. I mean, if you have a Bible, you can literally cut that thing into pieces. You can go all Thomas Jefferson on it and say, well, I don't like this, and I like that, and I don't like this, and then you get a God that you get to contradict. But imagine you start a friendship, and you say, yeah, I want to be friends, but I never want you to contradict me. I never want you to argue with me. Would you ever really be friends? No, you'd be Facebook friends. That's what you'd be, not real friends. In the Old Testament, an idol was something you made. You shaped it to fit you. And that is what we do when we pick and choose what we follow God in and what we don't. The truth is, the living God made us in his workshop. We were made. He shapes us to fit him. We don't make him fit us. 
and there is no in-between. Either you have a God who can contradict you, who can say, yeah, that's your will, but this is mine, and you need to change, and, or you don't even serve the living God. In Hebrews 12, verse 5, the writer speaks of the exhortation of the Old Testament. You know what the word exhortation means? Argues. Argues. That's what it means. If God and his word can't argue with you and show you where you're wrong, you don't serve the living God. You only serve yourself. But here's the good news. If God can tell you bad news where you're wrong, God also gets to tell you good news. Like when you feel worthless and you feel horrible, God's the one who comes in and says, but you're not worthless. When you feel hopeless, God gets to step in and goes, but you're not hopeless. There is redemption. There is hope. 1 John 3, 19 and 20 says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For wherever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. When your heart and your life wants to condemn you and make you live in shame, God says, I want you to live in redemption. This is the truth. But if you don't believe the scriptures, you don't get to live in that. I mean, you think, oh, that's so great and wonderful. Not if you don't have a Bible that can argue with you. If you don't have a Bible, that's ultimate truth. And this is the amazing thing about all this. When Peter talks about Scripture and we talk about Scriptures, the Scriptures, this final truth, all points to a person. It all points to Jesus. Peter says this, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. What are those days? The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So he says this, you are the sons of all the, of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is all the prophets. Everybody talked about Jesus. What are all the sacrifices about? What are all the clean and unclean laws all about? They're all about Jesus. They're all to help us to understand that no matter how good we think we are, we are never really fit for the presence of God in and of ourselves. We're never going to be clean enough. We're never going to be good enough. And so Jesus comes, and Jesus takes away our sin on himself, on the cross, rises from the grave, leads us to new life, so we can again have a real relationship with God and each other. In Jesus, we become clean. In this article I was reading by Keller, he says, most sermons are just okay until you get to the Jesus part. I'm like, that's true. That is totally true. Uh, Because, you know, I'll talk to you about the scriptures, about listening to the Bible, trusting what it says, living in it, uh, obeying these things. And you're like, I got it, I got it. I feel like I got a college lecture, but, but I got it, okay. And then I talk about Jesus, and everything changes. And you're like, yeah, that's it, because that's what it's all about. And you look at what Jesus did with the scriptures. You look at it's about our salvation. It becomes about his power. The Bible is not about Abraham and the law and sacrifices and eating kosher. It's about Jesus. And Peter essentially says, unless you see that, you're never going to understand the Bible. The Apostle Paul essentially says that. If you read the Bible without reading it through understanding who Jesus is, you're going to have a veil over your mind. You'll never understand the glory of it. You'll never understand the story of what God is intending from the beginning to the end of the Scriptures. You'll make it all about you when it's all meant to be about Jesus. That Jesus comes and the Gospel makes all things new, including us. This is the story of the Scriptures. See, There are some questions I think we have to ask when we look at the scriptures. You know, do you let Jesus deal with you personally? Do you spend time in the scriptures and read them, and do you allow it to get into your life, and the things you're like, I don't like that. But do you still live in it and trust him because God is who he is? Like, say, if I as your pastor or maybe the the elders said, hey, let's sit down and talk about your life. There's some things in it we think might need to change. How would you respond? 
Because there really is a difference to people who allow the Scriptures to continually change their lives, that allow the Scriptures to deal with our own wickedness. When you're in the habit of hearing God say to you, not your will, but mine, we become humble people. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the elders are never wrong. We are wrong at, at times. I can point it out many times. You know. but, but people are in the habit of hearing the Scriptures search them and change them. These are the people who become humble people. These are the people who listen to the words of God. And so, do the Scriptures search you? What are the things that you want to rebel against? What are the things that you want to push up against? Have you ever felt Jesus dealing with you personally? This really comes down to the question as, is Jesus really your Savior and Lord? Because if not, I tell you, just like Peter said in his message, today is the day. Today is the day to live and walk and trust the truth. You know, all of these messages and acts are, you know, about us trying to help us to become what the church calls us to be, to refocus us on who Jesus is, understand the gospel. And I'll tell you, if you ever leave Element or go somewhere else, find a church that preaches the truth even when it's hard and you don't like it. Because the truth needs to be preached. I mean, God gave us the scriptures to live in, to walk in, to, to know him better. This is, this is why we trust them for what they are. I mean, if, if you have more questions about it, we have a whole gospel class all about the scriptures. We did a whole element university about why and how we can trust the scriptures. The scriptures are God's great gift given to us. They are God's truth handed to us in a way. But you, we don't venerate the scriptures. We don't make the scriptures God. Scriptures is like God's love letter written to us, and it all points to the person of Jesus. It all comes to Jesus. That's why after every message, we talk about communion. You know, where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. The scriptures, beginning to end, point to what we remember at communion, that Jesus would come and die and rise from the grave to take away our sin, to take us what, what separates us from God and us from each other, to restore us, to make us whole, to redeem us. And this is what we remember in communion. You remember that Jesus did these things, that God fulfilled the scriptures, God fulfilled the things that he said that he was going to do. One more time that we can trust the scriptures. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the, in the back. <laughs> the man's gonna, Sean just stands there staring at me. Did he say more words? Yes, I did. Um, if you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. They would love to pray with you. I mean, maybe you're in a place in your life where you have a hard time accepting that there is truth that is outside of you. They would love to pray and talk with you about that. You know, maybe in your mind you have made the scriptures of the truth all about you. Or maybe you've deified the Bible and not Jesus. I mean, these... Everything needs to come back to Jesus. The scriptures are a great and wonderful gift. We believe them as truth, but they all point to Jesus. And if you read the scriptures front to back and you don't understand or see Jesus in it, you've missed the point of the entire scriptures because they are about Jesus. God revealed, God's revealed truth given to us. Uh, the scriptures also speak about the generosity God's people are supposed to live in. So there's offering boxes and a sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is in part of our worship. You have the opportunity. We don't pass a plate. Just a response to what God has done. There's food in the back. We invite you to grab some to eat. Maybe eat some cookies. Get a little sugar high so you can wake up enough to get home and then take a nap to gain back your hour of sleep you lost today. Maybe just me. Okay. Um, but understand in that, you know, hopefully you grab some to eat, meet some other people, and start asking some deeper and harder questions. How do you view the scriptures? Do you trust them as God has revealed them to us? You know, are you constantly trying to change them to make them more in line with what you want them to be? As it, it, I, I think that, that following Jesus in one sense is, is simple. 
in the things that he has said, trusting him in all things, but very hard to be lived out. Because we always want to change it so that we get to be all that we want to be rather than who God calls us to be. And we will never live the lives that we need to live until we simply surrender our lives to Jesus and live in the truth that he has provided. Because our God is good, and our God is a God who speaks words of truth to his people. And we should live in those. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who honor and love you. Father, that we would honor you in how we view your words. That we would begin to allow your scriptures to search our hearts, to grow us into who we were meant to be. Father, for those in this room who have a really hard time reading the scriptures on a daily basis, I ask that you give them not a sense of shame or of guilt, but more of a sense of excitement that we get to read your inspired words given to us. And that we understand it's not just about the words. It's about the revelation of what the words entail. And that entails your son. That you have rescued us. That you have redeemed us. Teach us to live in ways that lift you up. That trust you. That we hold the words of your truth over our own self experience. And we simply live the grace that you have provided us. Teach us more and more daily to trust you and to honor you in all things. We ask this in your son's goodness.